Hello and welcome to another episode of Tough Love. And today I have a lovely, beautiful guest, Miss Lindsay. What's how you pronounce your last name? Sherwin. Sherwin. Ah, got it. <laughs> so we're going to discuss today about mental health. It's one of my babies. Um, I do suffer from mental health, so I'm a big advocate for it. And so the episode is entitled A Creative Way to Treat Mental Illness. And I'm going to let Miss Lindsay brag on herself because she is amazing. <laughs> Once she started talking about the things that she's accomplished, you will see why I'm so honored to have her on today's show. So just tell us a little bit about yourself, whatever you want to tell, you know, discuss. <laughs> Thanks, Owen. Really happy to be here. Um, so... My name is Lindsay Sherwin, and I'm a professional artist, board-certified drama and performance therapist, expressive arts therapy practitioner, certified conflict resolution and restorative practices trainer. And I also work with um, clients doing like relationship coaching. And I've been working predominantly with youth and young adults for the past almost 10 years now um, and families for um, a long time using the arts as my main approach um, and as a tool for mental health and well-being. So, um, and my goal with that is really to build social and relational skills. All right. Awesome. So just out of curiosity, what inspired you to speak about mental health issues? Like, um, I feel like it's so downplayed, even with, you know, the many suicides that happen, even with celebrities, it's like, okay, they committed suicide, let's move on, it's a tragedy, let's move on. So personally, what made you want to speak out and be an advocate for mental health? So I was studying in London, actually, um, and I was working with a lot of young adults um, from like underserved communities. And I was realizing, you know, in my studies and my research, I actually did some research on how the arts help people who are affected by trauma and mental health. I mean, trauma is a big cause of why people um, have mental health issues. And so I did that research with disconnected youth. And then I came back to New York after I finished my studies and I realized like, okay, I want to, I want to pursue something a little bit more specific. I was studying sociology then, and then I came back and found this field. I was an artist and I was, I was an actor and I was kind of like myself and doing what I wanted to do, but I wanted to be a professional. And I found this field drama therapy. And I said, wow, that, that really lines up with how I can help. Right. Like so kind of delving deeper into my purpose of what I can literally do to practice the work that I believe in and really help people in a greater way. And so um, I studied psychology and I, I you know, worked with a lot of different clients and um, they inspired me. Actually, a lot of the clients that I worked with, um, my first job was a youth coach working with youth in foster care. And they said, Miss Lindsay, you got to, you act, you got to go and do something else, you know? And I said, yeah, like I, I probably should. And so I left that job and I started teaching theater and drama. And then I realized, okay, I need drama therapy because a lot of the clients that I worked with, they're dysregulated and it's hard for them to, um, you know, do things that you might 
expect because they don't have the family structure in place and they haven't learned those skills. So it goes back to the skills. So I realized that is all mental health. Um, you know, I started taking an interest in it because I really found that I think there's this dichotomy, which is interesting as a as an artist, as a human, or as someone who practices a person-centered humanistic approach to therapeutic intervention. And because people also, just to differentiate, people see therapy very differently. Um, you know, like people think therapy is talking about it. And, and a lot of the people I've worked with, they don't really take to that. And that's why I can't wait to get into more of the interventions, because that's a big part or piece of how we help people, like, depending on what they need and what what works for them. Um, and then so the thir third piece is as a practitioner, as a professional, so you've got the artist, the human and the professional, um, and those three roles that I play which comes into the space with people. And so when those work, you're like, this is really magical. This is something that's really helping people. And so then you become like this empowered advocate for it because it it's like all these spaces in your, your life, you're serving them. And that makes you more empowered to, to do that. That is. <laughs> and it's amazing. And, and it's funny how you mention about um, a lot of people um, don't take too well with, you know, talking out their feelings because um, in the African-American community, you know, therapy is like, what do you need therapy for? <laughs> what are you depressed for? <laughs> and it's one of those things where it it makes people afraid to actually say that, hey, something is not right. I'm not okay. And it's okay not to be okay. And that's one thing that I wish and I'm working toward dispelling is the fact that you're not weak because you're asking for help. You're not weak because you need, you know, therapy or medicine or some other type of therapy. You're not weak. You're actually strong because you're identifying with yourself or what's needing to um needing to happen. So um, you as a practitioner, what is the biggest thing that you want to dispel about mental health issues and mental health? Yeah, I mean, I think the way people approach it and practice it. So I really look at it in, in this way. Um, I think, you know, as a creative, a lot of times we look at it as a, as a way out and a way to release. But it's become so normalized where people think it's like only classified as a disorder and it becomes stigmatized as to what people have, um, especially with people of color, right? If we're going to kind of go a little bit more specific. Um, and so um, the way I see that is I really want people to think about it. And again, this is my perspective and having worked in a lot of different systems and big systems, um, clinical places, clinical settings, um, non-clinical settings, which is an interesting space to work in uh, because mental health is not really kind of seen there, um, you know, but then it, it comes up. And so I have to use different skills and um, I can talk a little bit about that as well, like kind of what it looks like. <laughs> Yeah, but really how I see it is a social and relational medicine 
as opposed to a classified diagnosis captured or referenced by what another believes someone is or has wrong with them. Um, and so what I mean by that, I know that's a, a mouthful, but what I mean by that is <laughs> the way people view it right. is, you know, really breaking it down into destigmatizing people's perceived conditions and unlabeling those conditions, which is usually highly clinical and derogatory in nature. So this also gets into who is providing the service and you know, how the, the person or the client that's receiving it is viewing it. What are they looking for? A lot of therapy is like, what are you looking for? So I want people to get back to your question. I want people to really understand that, you know, I, I mean, I personally don't practice in that way, although sometimes people do need a more clinical intervention because they have psychosomatic and psychiatric needs that must be addressed with medication. But I really want people to kind of Think about if you were to, as a practitioner, be person-centered, which is what my mentor taught me to be um, and my supervisor. And that was so critical in my practice, but also this concept of being with the person in front of us and really capturing their story. And this will kind of, you know, come back up again when I talk more about expressive arts therapy and what that is. Um, but that's the notion of it, that you're really with that person. You're not thinking about the clinical implications or what they're presenting necessarily. You can look at it and you can see it. Oh, that might be something to take note on. But when you start getting in your head about those judgments and those thoughts about what they have, again, like I said in the quote that I shared, you you get lost in what they have instead of who they are. And people want to be seen and they want to be validated and recognized and they can't be and you can't be that person for them if you're not being with them. And the arts allows you to do that. Yeah. <laughs> do that effectively. Yeah, you're right. And it's just one, like you said, it's just one of those things where you're just is being in tune with the person and you and people think that being in tune, you have to know a person for for months and years and things like that. But if you pay attention to the right things, because initially when I was diagnosed, I didn't go there specifically for that. I went there for insomnia. And the next thing I know, I have a um, questionnaire in front of me and I'm like, wow, like I never thought about this, but I checked all of the boxes that were relevant to me. And the doctor was like, hey, you know, <laughs> This is something you need to think about and treat. And I never thought about that. I was just always on the go. And those things that were transpiring in my head, I'm like, okay, it'll, you know, I'll shake it off and I'll just, you know, keep it moving and not giving my time to myself time to think. And I was mm -hmm. just blessed and fortunate to have um, a practitioner that actually took that time out to see that, okay, this is a little bit more than insomnia. The insomnia is attached to something else. So like you said, that's what makes a good practitioner is you being there with the patient, not even thinking of them as a patient or a client, just being a human being and being there for them. So um, yeah, and that's that's awesome. Like I said, I'm, I'm a huge fan of what you're doing. It's amazing. But um, 
So in your lifetime, you seeing everything of how mental health has evolved. Um, how has it evolved in your lifetime and where do you see it going in the future? Mm. Yeah, I love that question. Um, and not an easy <laughs> answer. Um, I think it's such a nuanced topic, right? And it appears to be fixed more than fluid, especially now in 2023, when I think we could say we're in a mental health crisis where there's just so many conditions and people are, you know, doing things that maybe they wouldn't have done 10 years ago. Um, and so I think that, you know, um, the issues related to mental health across the country um, and getting effective mental health treatment are not mutually exclusive. So I think that, you know, to be evolved and become more fluid, especially as we can see, you know, the evolution of radical acceptance for people across genders and diverse sexual identities, there's more supportive provision for them. Um, and like approaches, you know, how society and culture responds to that, I think has been more of interest, um, whether it's done effectively is another question, but I think it's evolved in that way, especially with special populations and groups of people, um, no matter where they live, you know, and, um, and yes, I would say, depending on who is providing the service, they can be well about diagnosing a person's illness, medical staff, you know, so that has changed um, in terms of how we see it. But the creative arts therapies, and I want to bring this up because, you know, that's that's how I practice and how I view the lens. And that's really a big piece of this. Um, it's a very specific kind of approach. And so um, most people in this country really look at somebody who is like a licensed clinical social worker or, you know, somebody who really focuses in on those kinds of specific issues that people come to address. And I think that that's, that's helpful um, and that you can really gain a lot of value. Um, but I just, I have changed my practice as I've gotten more like artists and creatives and people that will not willingly say like, I have depression or I have anxiety. We, we, we don't really touch on those things. We kind of go underneath the surface and say like, you know, what's coming up for you? And let's use this approach to help you tune into your lifestyle. Um, and so in, in both of my programs, Create Your Shift is the youth and young adult program, which I've had um, operating for several years now. Um, and, you know, the Resilient Creator, which is really for artists and creatives, both of them, I've noticed this pattern of like, you know, people coming in or working with me that we don't want to talk about it, right? We don't want to say we have it. And especially if you're, and, and this is another kind of side topic, but like if you're in private practice, you know, you get, you get a whole different kinds of people, people that are like, I'm definitely going for this problem, but people don't want to diagnose themselves. So they have to be open to like saying to themselves, I need to go and get this situation resolved. I'm getting really upset or I find myself in a lot of conflicts. I'm not really making any friends. I'm anxious all the time. I can't sleep. Um, I have negative self-talk. You know, you have to like really tune into yourself and be able to say that. The clients that I work with, they don't know how to recognize that. So we can't approach it too clinically because we need to kind of look at other things first and then we can, you know, 
talk about maybe some of the symptoms that are coming up. But symptomology is just a result of, you know, your your habits and your patterns and um, your body, really. And so I do. And so that's a great segue, too, because I do a lot of body work. As you may know, a lot of the expressive therapies are rooted in like body and you know, that integration of body, mind, and spirit, which is kind of what spiritual psychology is too. And that's a lot of what I, I like to base my work on. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to just get you to elaborate more. What's a day of work look like for you? Like the, your therapy, your treatment, and what are the outcomes that you see, whether it's positive, negative, or, you know, percentage wise, I, I want to know everything. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, in terms of what I do with somebody, so basically, if I have someone in front of me, um, whether it's a young adult, um, or an adult, um, you know, I, I guess I can talk about my specific process, we'll, we'll start with young adults or teens, um, which is, which is different than an adult, because, you know, with them, I do an intake, um, and I kind of ask them some questions that might be a little bit challenging. Um, and I always kind of think about like when you know someone's coming in with a lot of trauma, how to ask these questions. Um, and I think there is a way to do it because I usually see a lot of young men who are not used to talking. And so I have to be really careful about how I ask them. But I noticed that like, and I'll just share a little bit on the detail of this and then kind of move along in the process. But I do notice when I become more, um, like empathetic, obviously, and, and clear and to the point, but also really like asking as a person and not reading from the page that mm -hmm. helps to kind of have more of a conversation with the, the young man, for example, versus like, you know, this is what we have to do. And, and nobody teaches you that, you know, you kind of have to follow your way. <laughs> um, and so they'll sit there and they'll sit with me for an hour. And most people would be pretty sure surprised or shocked to hear that because they don't have time and patience for that. Typically they're, you know, trying to do other things, right? Meet their friends or go somewhere, um, go on to the next activity. So I, I do that. I get to know them a little bit. And then, you know, we talk a little bit about, you know, maybe some of the things I see or notice, and then we go right into, um, you know, I, I can do this a number of ways. If it's a first session, um, I'll have them like maybe do some drawing or some creating. We'll talk. We'll take some themes so it's organized and then we'll see what comes up and we'll process that. Maybe the next session we'll we'll expand on that. I'll offer some different modalities. Typically, the visual art is the easiest for them. They'll, they'll uh, share feelings on that within the art will write some poetry or they'll tell me a story, depending on how they're presenting. Some kids really do talk. And so um, I noticed that like for my practice, the talking is not helpful because I, I'm not of the um, of the belief that if we continue to talk about what's wrong, it'll help. It's more like the opposite. We get it out through the body. We get it out through like poetry or words like metaphor, like piecing pieces together. That's sort of why I, I started seeing this pattern of when they do their expressive projects, like their expressive arts projects, 
um, there's a lot of like what I'm calling puzzle pieces. So you may have seen that in when I wrote you. So I've kind of looked at this narrative puzzle pieces concept that I've infiltrated into Create Your Shift. And I, I captured that is like this pattern of what they do. Um, and then, you know, when they, when they create their projects, we put these pieces together, which I'm calling the puzzle pieces, and they present it. They present their work. So it, it allows, it's sort of like this combination of therapeutic and coaching or youth development model. I tried to get everything in there um, where they are, you know, getting the help that they need, getting the healing element, but also, you know, engaged in something and being a part of something. Um, so it's like more of a program essence than like I'm a psychotherapist sitting here and we're going to do this, check the box, bill for insurance or, you know, Medicaid as most um, would have in that position if it's in public health, which is the, the context of who I'm talking about. So it's quality service um, and I've provided quality service in very low quality places. So I definitely can talk to you about how that looks, and that's a whole other topic, right, um, of how to really stick up for what you're doing and building and providing good care to people that don't get it. And then the admin, <laughs> the admin who doesn't want that or care, often coming from the same backgrounds as these clients. Oh. So it's very unfortunate. But um, yes, I would say part two. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. It's just, and like you said, they're coming from the same backgrounds and it's almost kind of like only the strong survive. Like I made yeah. it out or I've done well with myself. You just have to figure it out instead of, you know, kind of, you know, molding them and helping them along the way. And it's just, it's, it's sad that it's like that, but that is how it's, how it is. And I, yeah, it's just, it's an ongoing battle and I'm not ready to give up on the fight, but <laughs> it's definitely an ongoing battle. Um, so of course you use your um, expressive therapy, which I think is awesome. I danced for 12 years and I was not depressed, not one bit <laughs> at all. It's like when I stopped dancing, everything just closed in, but I love that expressive art that you're doing. But um, do you think, um, Every treatment is tailored for someone different or do or do you think that everyone should try a little bit of all kinds of therapy and treatment just to see what helps them? Yeah, I think I think that if you're looking for something now, if you're let's segue into private practice clients. So those who are not in public health who don't make those choices, because just as a side note, just to share with whoever might be interested in this, who's listening. Um, when you work in a public system like foster care or juvenile or corrections, and I've worked with clients in all of those systems, they do not get a choice on what modality or intervention they um, get. Right? So if you were justice involved, I've done family therapy as a court therapist um, for, I only did it for six months. Um, that's about as much as I could take, but I delve in pretty hardcore to it. Um, and I saw a lot of clients within that time and they were assigned at the time to do family therapy because they had um, an arrest, right? They were on Rikers and, or they were in another facility and they had to do it with their family. 
and they would do functional family therapy. And so I practiced that modality. Um, and family therapy, you know, is usually required in some capacity for struggling young people who, you know, can't um, get out of trouble or like they continue to do things that cause harm to themselves or others. Um, you know, there's short-term like brief strategic therapy and MST, multi-systemic or multi-dimensional family foster care. I practice that. These are all for systems involved clients. Um, if we're talking about someone who is very conscious of what they're looking for, um, Typically, you have to do some research because if you say, oh, well, I think a lot to myself and I find myself having these habits or compulsions or, you know, things that I can't really do on my own or I, I have low motivation and I can't get up um, or I feel hopeless, like you have a mix of different issues going on there or people are often um, turned away by me, you know, these are all like relational issues. You might want to look into some more of a behavioral approach or cognitive behavioral therapy, which is CBT, which is a very popular um, type of therapy that people go to when they want to talk it out. And it gives um, the client the language. So it's very much based on languaging what to say, and then you get on your own, right? Um, I would say, and then you you would do it on your own. I would say in terms of, you know, what people need. So in my getting back to kind of what I'm promoting with creative arts, it's really a unique approach because it has the possibility. And this is how I have found on my own, I can do this um, without being even like a licensed person who took an exam. Like, I mean, I obviously, and that's a whole other conversation about what it takes to a creative arts therapist. New York State is the only state in this country um, that requires a license or not requires, but offers a license for it. Um, you can be what I am, which is an expressive arts therapist, and that's a board certification through a board, which is what I am. Um, and the same with drama therapy, all the specifics, music therapy, poetry therapy, dance movement therapy, they're all governed by their own board. So these very specific kinds of therapy, like these arts-based therapies are all um, governed by boards. You know, they're not, they're not like licensed by states. And so that, that does offer a different kind of approach. Um, and so I can kind of within my model, which again, and we can talk about how to be entrepreneurial with this because if, right, because I'm approaching this as like, I'm not the typical licensed person that you're going to sit down within a, in a black chair on a couch and then go away. Right. I mean, I can do that and we can sit in an office space and I do see people in person and we do that or online, but that, that feeling is not what I'm promoting or encouraging. Right. And so I get to, as someone who started a business and I incorporate my own programming, I combine, literally com combine the science, the counseling, and the coaching dynamic. Um, so you kind of get a combination of play, body work, that's meditation, spiritual connecting, emotional. Um, I use the spiritual psychology, which is the study and practice of science and conscious awakening. Why am I here? What's my purpose? Um, you know, well-being, learning about your vision, your purpose experientially and making meaningful contribution to your life, your inner and your outer world. Um, 
you know, according to creative arts therapies, that is the practice of the conscious awakening. So who you truly are, which is an element of psychology, right? And so if you're going that traditional route, you're not going to get someone who really talks to you about that. They're going to talk to you about the clinical diagnosis and your presenting symptoms. So that's a different feel. Um, you know, so that's sort of, you know, why I'm happy I kind of didn't go that traditional route because I do get to offer. There are some other things that are more challenging, right, like getting people to be aware of what this is so they can really take a risk and try it without the fear of feeling like it's not going to work or they don't get it or they can't pay for it. You know, that's um, something that I've had to grapple with as a business owner, too. But, um, you know, we do talk about some of those more normalized aspects of therapy or clinical work like mind, thoughts, behaviors, internal beliefs, skills, relational, social. Um, I find that typically with the artist population or creative, it's more about this well-being aspect and using play and the body and meditation to connect with the self. And then the skill sets can be more honed in on. Like if somebody, like I had a, several artists come and say, like, I can't communicate or get my pitch across. I want to pitch this product, right? Or I, I want to be an actor and I don't know where to start or I don't know what to say or networking is a huge element in the arts, like who you know. So that's not really clinical. I mean, they may be depressed and get rejected a lot, but now it's becoming more skill-based. Um, I believe if you can't be skill-based and relational and you can't, and if you can't do that, then it's going to be hard for you to make your dreams come true. But in order to do that and your vision and your purpose, get clarity on that, you really need to do that other side that I'm talking about, which is that spiritual side. So that's how I infuse it with the, the science, the coaching, which we can kind of clump it together and say it's coaching and, um, you know, the therapeutic elements. So it's really just... <sighs> My work is really infusing and combining those um, parts of, of something. And we do it over time. So I don't want someone to think that they come and see me and it's like, we're going to do all this stuff and we're going to talk about all this in one session. It's my toolbox. It's what I can use to help someone versus I believe the very singular tool set of talk therapy, which is why it's been so stigmatized. And like you said before, oh, I don't want to sit and talk to this therapist I don't know. And that's why so many people have told me too, and maybe you've heard this as well, like they didn't get me, Lindsay. They didn't understand me. They didn't know what I was talking about. They actually made me laugh. I, I walked out of there crying, you know, and that's really a reality that many people face when searching for a provider. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I'm just so in love with what you're doing is the fact that it's, you're not taking that clinical approach because like you said, once you're in a doctor's office or a therapist's office, it's more so your symptoms, this, your, your dosage, this, and it just, it becomes overwhelming and it, it does something to the mind because now you're thinking about all what's wrong with you instead of what, the future lies ahead. You're just thinking about, oh my God, the dosage is not working. Oh my goodness, I'm still depressed. Oh my God, can we try another medicine? So it's just so many things that go yeah. through people's head. And like I tell anyone 
mental illness is a constant battle. It's a mental battle. And I, like I said, I appreciate what you're doing because like you said, it's a thing that's over time. And then you're meeting young people at their prime where they're probably confused. They have no idea why they're feeling the way that they're feeling. Puberty is one thing. And then you you throw in, you know, some issues with mental health, then that's something totally different. And you're just like kind of like an onion peeling them back, giving them time to express themselves and just it's a beautiful thing, Lindsay. It really is. It really is. <laughs> so if someone said they don't want the therapy, they don't want the type of expressive therapy you're given, what do you think is the simplest approach that can improve mental health? Yeah, I think that the simplest way to, you know, to go about it is something like offerings, which is another concept within expressive arts. So if you give somebody an offering, it's like, what would help in this moment? What can I do that would maybe encourage you to try something? And if they sit there and they say, I don't know, and a lot of young people say that, usually when you give a couple different offerings or even get up and move the body a little bit and like just repeat movements like mirroring um, to build that attunement. Now, if somebody's older and I do work with a lot of young adults, like in their 20s, where that attunement um, psychologically has not been developed, there's been no real attunement, um, meaning there's low attachment, right? And there always has been in development. So because of that, they just have to move and mirror and repeat. So I might have them do it in pairs if I'm running a group. Um, I actually just recorded this with a group that I was working with, um, and I did make a film on it too, so people can see um, not necessarily what they do, because I can share about that, but just the results, right? People are interested in results. And so a lot of the results after working with me um, are like, I didn't know what to do, but then I felt comfortable and at ease because I was able to move. I was able to express with a gesture. Um, I often invite them as a strategy or technique is to make a movement with how you're feeling. So I did, for example, to give you like a concrete example of this, um, which really, really works with young adults. Um, if you're working with a group and you have like no idea what to do and you're not a creative arts therapist or expressive arts practitioner and you're maybe you're a teacher or a social worker or you're just a provider um, you could even be a coach like a mentor or a youth coach and you just want to get your clients engaged and activated but you can't go further um, you know what you could do is just ask them like okay well you would have a topic right you would typically know what you're going to be working with them on um, you might say like okay so let's just um kind of go around the room and create a sound or a movement with the body. Now, usually kids are like, I don't know, you use that, right? The, the, the strategy is to use that. So I might say, I don't know, right? Another one is past the face. So you might have a face, like, so to get really silly, I want you guys, or you can say, I invite you to create a face with how you're feeling right now in your body, right? Or how you're feeling today. And it could just be like, Ugh. and I would have to model it, Ugh. And everyone goes around, right? And it, and it gets people laughing and into their body and embodied. And that is health. That is creativity, which stimulates health. Creativity and imagination are different. When people have been traumatized, um, 
you know, it's harder to be creative. Um, you know, anybody can imagine something because it's, it's not a reality. But once you become creative, you have to take that step and produce something. And that's hard for people who are stunted from trauma. Now you can do it and it's possible. Um, you know, you just have to be super resilient. And that's another skill. But getting back to the group. So um, just to give you more context. So I ran a group on like conflict, right? Managing conflict and triggers, which is extremely relevant for young men of color, which is who I was working with, and how to manage behavior and, and impulse control and triggers. Um, and so what do you do, right? So there's two parts of the workshop that I do with this. It's the body and getting them into the body. We can start with some of those exercises. Then we might go a step further after they've mastered that. Everything is in small dosage, right? So we don't want to push people. These activities are are very kind of highly structured. They seem, oh, it's silly. It's ridiculous. You're laughing. You're going around the room. This is building the psychological impairments that were put in place from the dysfunctional family structure. So even though they are older, it's a start, right? We can't, that's the unfortunate thing about uh, when you start treatment, you can't go back in time and change the environment or the family, but you can kind of build the skills. That's really all you can do. Um, you know, and that's kind of why people say like doctors or therapists or any kind of medical professional is a band-aid because they, they can fix things, but they can't get to the cause. You can share what the cause might be, but we're here to really, just to emphasize, we're here to really kind of build the skill so it improves over time. And if they keep coming back, it, it should. Um, and that's why we do like role-playing, right? So the next one, the next activity might be to like retrain a little bit of the feeling to get the feeling out. Then we might retrain some behaviors that we notice and I would have to point it out to them. So say everybody creates a feeling of, of what is um, conflict for them. I remember uh, one client I had said he felt trapped in a cage. Another felt nothing, right? Um, and then another felt like um, just silent. So creating poses of those things and then doing the opposite so they can see the difference. What does it feel like not to be triggered um, or in conflict? It feels free. It feels um, like I can be open, right? Um, and then another client said, it feels the same. There is no real change. So what I had them do is show those opposites in their body and then look at them, which is video playback. That's another technique so they could see it and see the difference because sometimes people really need to see that visual. Um, it's great if they're in it, but then they can see it and say, I can point out, do you see how your body changed there? Do you see how that looks different? How do you feel? I feel more open. Then we get into a conversation about triggers and what it means to do it in the moment. That's role training, playing the role. So you get a role play going, or you talk about you know, what it means to use certain language and pause and reflect. So then you can get more um, into those thoughts and beliefs, um, which is more cognitive. It's really hard to, I think, get there. Um, you know, if if young adults haven't been exposed to this um, type of work, but that's really the the simplest offering. And it does work because they all kind of come out feeling lighter. And feedback has told me, teachers and other practitioners have told me, I don't know what you're doing, but they seem lighter. They seem more playful. And that's health because yeah. it's using the creativity to ignite something that they weren't expecting 
and build that confidence and empowerment. And um, over time, you would hope to see some more resilience and empathy and ability to respond and use different languaging. There's many outcomes. Instead of when I say different languaging, a lot of times you might hear like um, when people are stunted, right? They don't have the languaging at home, especially for, for children of color. Like the languaging, the exposure to vocabulary is not present. Um, you know, I've worked in a lot of urban settings. So I, in schools and, and other places, right, where they are, there is no language. So that's why this works. They don't know what to say. I've had many clients. I don't have the words. I said, is it because you don't know what to say? They said, yeah, I don't know how to say it. So what I've noticed too in this approach is they start to learn what to say by what I'm saying. So the modeling and they find the words because they're in their body. So this part of the brain, the executive functioning that's not doing too well right now, it gets sharper because they're more attuned to them. And so those words come. It's like being a creative, right? Like you as an artist and a writer, you're able to, I don't know how you're able to get the books out. Like, but I have to talk about that. But, you know, you're able to, it's able to come to you because you have acquired that skill um, because there's something within that's motivating you to do it and be resilient. Um, and so that's what they need. Um, but there needs to be a more stricter process because a lot of the um, behaviors or skills, like what we're talking about, these social skills are deficient. Um, and so they've been missed. Those stages were missed. So you're really going back and, and treating it like their kids and that they need to get these stages so they can move forward and do it. So, but back to the original question, <laughs> I know we've, we've kind of. <laughs> no, you're good. I'm enjoying it. Trust me. This is good stuff. Okay. I knew it was going to be good, but this is amazing stuff. So I'm enjoying it. Just, you know, keep going. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think that um, in terms of the outcomes, I'll just end with this, that, you know, in terms of what we're really seeing here, and if people are interested in what you're getting from this process, um, from person-centered expressive arts, drama therapy, counseling, and creative awareness, creativity development, and therapeutic coaching. Again, summarizing the tools so you're aware this is what I'm stepping from. Like you can see, I never said anything about, you know, DBT or CBT, although I presented on DBT to a bunch of non-clinical people, I was able to do that um, because I understand the concepts. I don't necessarily use it because like we said, I don't think the outcomes, I'm gonna tie it to what I see in the outcomes are gonna be as successful. Um, for what, who I work with, for, for, you know, youth of color in urban environments, as well as artists, even that's why I picked these special populations, um, to work with, because that's who I feel the most inclined that to work with, because they align with how I practice and they take well to it. Um, you're going to see higher levels of skill development and improved communication, understanding, connectivity to sense of self. Um, you know, determination, resilience, a lot of the outcomes that I found from the film that I made, this was like a short docu film, like five minutes, right? But it really captured what a lot of these young adults were feeling. And that was more confident that they can talk to people, which is huge because 
typically there is no communication, like we said, or if there is, it's simple and it's not expressive and the feelings are being either subdued, right? Or they're kind of being made up. Like, no, I'm good, man. I'm good. But you're not. So good is not a feeling. So we, we clarify that, right? You, yes. don't have, you don't know what the feeling is, which is okay, because nobody talked about it. Now, how do we learn what feelings are? Well, typically as children, if you're like a psychology nerd, like I am, and maybe other people listening, um, I know Owen, you are, right? Like, you want to really know, like, you know, when you're working with people, even if you're a provider or practitioner, why aren't they um, knowing the words, right? Like, what's the cause? What's going on here? And yes, we can talk about the family and it wasn't said to them and it wasn't shared or it wasn't um, advocated for in the home. Um, but it's also like the environment, like in the culture, right? It's a cultural thing too. And I've had to really keep that in mind um, when I've worked with some some tough kiddos that really just don't know what to say. And I've really never had anyone just on a side note here again, give me a lot of resistance or pushback. I think um, also being really good at when you deliver, but being really authentic and um, genuine in terms of what you're asking and really wanting to know somebody's story, which is really um, a part of the the technique. So there's two parts to this. It's twofold. It's really being that kind of person that you want to be when you're delivering. And then also really using the, what helps me with this practice is the whole practice of expressive arts therapy is based on storytelling. The same with drama. You're just acting it out. Expressive arts is using all the modalities. Um, and in case I haven't said this before in the beginning, expressive arts is the intentional use of multiple or what we call intermodal modalities. So you're using the visual arts process that could be collage, paint, drawing, um, you know, graphite pencil. I've used a lot of those different mediums with people. And then you could also do like some poetry writing or some rapping. You put it to music, dance, you know, role playing. I've done all of it. Um, and that is really how you build it. So you, but you have to really be, um, when you use that technique or that process, it's not like I go in um, and just say, oh, well, let's do this and, and hope you like it. It's like, I want to do this because I see the clear need that you could benefit from this particular approach right now. So it's as a provider, as a professional, that's determining that in that moment, what would work for the client, but also really being genuinely interested in how they're going to receive it and, and receive their story, which is the story and the narrative is expressive arts. We care about that narrative. There's something called narrative therapy. I don't necessarily do that, but that is a thing that people practice. Um, and it's similar to like drama therapy and looking at the story and rescripting the story, right? The hero's journey, looking at the different parts of the journey, the story, but really like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And people, people can use that, but then when you don't use it with an authentic presence it's kind of like i'm just going through this wonderful process and the motions but the the clients um especially if they're younger clients or young adults they're going to check out it doesn't matter how good you are what you know right and and even if you're doing a non-clinical approach like this um or you're kind of crafting it to be non-clinical if you're not in a hospital setting they're going to check out so my work is really what I've created with Create Your Shift is really looking at how to, and then having it be more distilled down with these narrative puzzle pieces, 
the crux of that is how do I deliver in a way where it's their story and then allowing that authenticity, not only in how I deliver, but what I receive in terms of a project. Um, and so, yeah, I'd love to, um, and a goal of mine really with that is to really kind of show people what that looks like over time. Um, so I typically offer like groups. Um, so I'm working on that now, like getting people to be interested in booking me to offer the groups. Um, and this could be done online too. I mean, everything kind of has to be tailored to online now, you know, <laughs> um, but happy to kind of be a traveling solopreneur and go around. I think it's really important to be in people's space and presence to do this type of work, especially if it's healing um, and they get to see someone that's going to be facilitating and helping them to express themselves and their story. So that's important. Yeah. And I just um, think that's so amazing, especially young men of color, that you're helping them find their voices. And like you say, they they don't sometimes they more, majority of the time they don't know they can't find the words to express themselves. And what happens is it comes they find another way to challenge um, channel, you know, all of that energy in a negative way. And instead of, you know, using their words to, you know, say how they feel and, and they just start to act out. So um, I think that's wonderful. Um, like I said, um, people of color, we are just not with the therapy at all. And for you to be able to get them to open up and to express themselves, that says a lot about your therapy and it's amazing. And yeah, <laughs> you definitely are doing an amazing job. Um, but do you have anything else you would like to say or add or? Um, yeah, there was there was a quote that I wanted to share. Yeah. <laughs> Let me find it. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, I think that um, I wanted to talk about, you know, being an artist and how that has helped me. So I think that's kind of different so than um, do um, acting or do you do a little bit of writing or drawing yeah. or just everything? I really do everything I have, you know, and this is something we can talk about um, maybe um, another time, but just like I have all this poetry and I compiled it and I want to really get it out there. So I was, I've been writing. Yeah. I've been writing for a while. It's like basically complete. And I even did a couple songs. So I'm looking to really, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I can talk to you about that another time, but that's something I've, I've been doing. Um, and now it's just getting it out into the world. So I'm, I'm even in myself, like taking that step of faith, right. And like, not like keeping it, I don't want to keep it to myself anymore, but, um, yeah. And, and then, yeah, I was an actor for a while. Um, I did a lot of, I did even print work like modeling. Um, you know, I did shows, what else? Um, I did a dance show, um, a couple times, you know, different kind of movement based work, um, playback theater, which is a kind of drama or, you know, enactment. Um, I really dabbled in everything. I'm, I'm not a musician and I have not played any music, but, but poetry, I've done spoken word poetry. Like I've read my poetry out, um, dance movement, you know, acting, drama, modeling, like all kinds of performance-based arts. Yeah. Um, I've, 
say I've done it all, you know, um, I don't do it as much anymore, but, um, I think at this stage of my, of my artist career, I really just want to get my own stuff out there. Um, right. And so people can feel good about what they're reading. Um, yeah, but I'll just share this quote that might resonate. So okay. being an artist has been the greatest opportunity for me to evolve as a creator, a piece of my identity that has driven my resilience to influence others to reinvent themselves while restoring, restoring and restoring their living new narrative. I like that. I like that. Yeah. So that, I like that. <laughs> that's really like I wanted to end with a with a more creative quote. Yeah. Um, you know, because a lot of this is about creativity and channeling it to feel better, to feel understood. Yeah, and I get that. Um you were saying about my writing and my books, like I get lost <laughs> when I'm writing and it's nothing better. And I know you probably feel the same way when you're drawing, when you're acting, when you're dancing, it's no better feeling than to be in your creative headspace. Nothing yes. else exists. <laughs> so right. nothing else exists. So. All right, so you're good. You don't have anything. Well, shout out your Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, website. Shout out everything, girl. <laughs> so you can find me. Um, I have two accounts on Instagram. My my main one, like my artist page, is at Lana Evolved. Um, so that's L A double N A E V O L V E D. Lana Evolved. Um, and then I have another one for my writings, which is um, a butterfly unmasked. So that is a underscore butterfly underscore unmasked. And, um, my website where you can find uh, more about me. And if you'd like to work with me is www.createyourshift.com. Perfect. And I definitely will be working with you again. Not, and I yeah. saw that you do film and I do screenwriting. So I do have, a, <laughs> I do have a short film about mental health that I've been working oh on. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. And I would definitely like to have a veteran like you to help me with it and get it out there because mental health is one of those things that is constantly falling through the crack. And if we don't speak out more about it, if we don't present something more to the public to keep shining, yeah. keep that spotlight on it, don't just put it on it when something happens and then take it away. I mean, keeping the spotlight on it and getting everyone on board so we can, you know, like you said, have more creative and expressive therapy, have more um, opportunities at work where you can actually literally take a mental break or have that where if you're not in a mental, mentally good place, you can call out and not have to deal with any type of repercussions or anything like that. So um, we're just going to keep on fighting and um, helping one person at a time. So that's all we can do. And yes. I thank you so much, Lindsay, for being a guest. Of course, I will keep in contact and you will have to come back for a part two. And... Okay.
<laughs> and to all my listeners and viewers, I thank you for another great episode of Tough Love. And I will see Bye. you next week. Bye.